Hello and welcome to the Turned On Podcast. I'm Angelique Nori and my husband David and I have made it our mission to break the darkness by flipping the switch on the four most important areas of your life in health, relationships, business, and in faith. And sometimes the light in the world and in your life can go dim, either from the intrusion of technology or simply because society is so driven by instant gratification. It's our mission to help people see that we're hardwired for connection and that the best things in life come when we turn on the light to see with new eyes the opportunity that exists just a flip away. So if you're ready to stir your spirit, open your eyes, and profit in all areas of your life, then let's get turned on. Here we go. Hey guys, how you doing? Welcome back. You know, we have a real, real treat for you today. This one unraveled on us and we thought we knew this girl's story, um, but there were some moments in there where we were like, what? Like three or four times we're like, are you serious? So for anybody who has a mission or a purpose and you've, you've hit some adversity or you've had some moments like wall kicking moments, you're going to want to hear this 100%. Yeah. So Natasha Nascimento is our next guest and she's actually a really good friend of ours from Tampa, Florida, where uh, we lived and met and got married and we've known her for well over a decade now and she's got an incredible mission. Um, It's called Redefining Refuge and I'll let her share a little bit more about that on the episode. But like David said, um, the things that had to happen, the things that she had to push through and the miracles, literal, literal miracles that happened in order for this to all be what it is today are just proof that when you keep the lights turned on, especially in your faith, that you will get divine direction to know exactly where you need to go in anything that you are choosing and anything that you feel has been placed divinely on your heart, you will be given the blueprint as long as you continue to stay turned on. So take a listen. We hope that you enjoy it as much as we did. Here we go. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to Turned On with David and Angelique. As of course, I'm Angelique, and next to me is my amazing husband. But across from us today on the virtual <laughs> internet. We have a very good friend of ours, Natasha Nascimento, and she's going to tell you a little bit about her nonprofit, Redefining Refuge, which is so inspiring in and of itself. However, when we talk about turned on moments, when we talk about flipping the switch in your life and all the big four areas, oftentimes we have these moments where the light goes on for us and we have something that falls upon our heart and, and deep within our spirit, yet we just don't know what to do to implement it in the world and create that change, whether it's on a global scale or even in our own bodies. But Natasha's going to share her story today and how that light bulb moment for her has elicited an incredible, incredible movement with Redefining Refuge. So welcome, Natasha. Thank you for being here with us today. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Yes. So tell us when your light bulb moment was and how it has you here today. So in 2008, I was in finance 
And I had just got a new position as a junior advisor with Morgan Stanley. And that was what I always, always wanted to do. Since I was probably in middle school, I'm like, I'm going to be in finance one day and work in one of those fancy high rises and have this little fancy life. And so I got the position. I was doing exceptionally well, in fact, in the position. I was the number one ranked junior advisor in the country at the time. Wow. And the more well that I was doing, the more disenfranchised I was feeling. Mm. And I was like, man, is this, is this it? Like, this is what I wanted and this is it now? And so my life looked amazing, but it didn't feel amazing at all. And so I started volunteering. That's something that's been very foundational for me my entire life coming from South Africa. It's a place where there's a lot of need. And so I went to a community alliance meeting, which is just a meeting where all of our community stakeholders are, and they are anyone that's invested in child welfare. And so I was sitting in this room with all these child welfare professionals, and they were talking about child prostitutes. And I was so confused because to me, that was the most giant oxymoron I've ever heard in my life. I didn't understand yeah. how a child and the word prostitute could even be used in the same sentence, you know, let alone as a label. Mm -hmm. And so I simply raised my hand and I said, and no one in this room was phased by this language. No one was. Wow. And so I just raised my hand and I said, you know, knowing that prostitution is illegal in the state of Florida, I'm curious what do you do with quote unquote child prostitutes? And the response was a very callous response. And you know, what do you mean? Prostitution's illegal. So we arrest them. And then I sat with that for a minute. So I'm going to raise my hand again. And I said, I just want to make sure that I'm, that I'm understanding this. So when a child that cannot consent is being raped repeatedly every single day for profit, when they see a law enforcement officer that they think is there to come and help them, they're actually there to punish them further and incarcerate them. And the response was the same thing. Well, yeah, Natasha, prostitution is illegal. Wow. And so it just blew my mind genuinely. And my last question to them was, what if this was a foreign kid? And they said, well, that's different. That's human trafficking. And that sentence just, lit a fire in me and then my life was never the same again honestly because it was so hard for people to wrap their head around that just because you're born and raised in the united states of america that you somehow have a choice which was just mind-blowing to me holy smokes well yeah. i have like goosebumps all over my entire body because it would have landed the same for me, quite honestly. And it just lands the same for me right now, just hearing this for the first time. And I may always know your story, but I don't think I've ever known that moment. Yeah. Wow. It's looking at me right now because well, I know he's feeling it too. There's a couple things I want to say because I know your story too, but I want you to tell us where the next step was. Because as we unpack this, so many people have a passion, see a need, feel something tugging at their heart, yeah. and they want to do something, but then they go to sleep on it. And one day becomes a week, a week becomes a year, a year becomes a lifetime. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people who have gone to their rest with a dream on their heart. And mm -hmm. they said, I, I wanted to make an impact. You 
Natasha, have made that impact. So tell us what the thought process and more importantly, what the actionable process was from that moment. Yeah, I mean, as soon as I heard that, I was already volunteering with other organizations. And so I went to those organizations first. That's the most basic thing I could do is go to organizations that were already helping children and say, hey, do you know about this? So simply going to where the silence is and saying something, what do you guys know about this? And so every organization that I went to that did know about it, the response was the same. Well, you know, prostitution, it's illegal. To me, that was so outrageous. I mean, it was just like, it's such an outrageous violation against a child and the autonomy of a child that how could I, how, if not me, then who, if all these people know about this already and they're not doing anything about it, how can I just go sit in my fancy office knowing this? I can't unknow this now. I can't unhear this now. I can't ignore this now. And so I just started doing, I didn't take immediate action. I started doing research because who am I at first, right? I'm not a social worker. I'm in finance. What can I even do? And then I thought, well, one thing that I've always been able to do, and I think that's where people need to focus on their skill set is I have a voice. My family said I was born talking. You know what I mean? So (laughs) I'm like, well, if no one else cares, I'm going to start a nonprofit. I had no idea how to start a nonprofit. I bought nonprofit for dummies book. Legit. That's what I did. Um, bought a nonprofit for dummies book and I applied for nonprofit status with the IRS and all that I was ever doing with this was creating a public awareness campaign. There was no plan for me to start an actual program or a movement or frankly end up changing our Florida legislation. But those byproducts came later on. So it wasn't like this grandiose plan. I didn't have everything all figured out. And I think when you're starting something, it's very easy to get overwhelmed mm. if you don't have all the answers. I did not have all the answers. I knew, I knew less than zero. I was not qualified by any means to do what I was doing. What qualified me was just my yes. Genuine. Yes, okay, I'll go and say something. Wow. So I, I want to unpack this really quick and just yep. bring this back because here you were in, in a cushy life doing what you thought that you wanted to do kind of based on the world standards and just a little bit of conformity, right? Like you're like oh, numbers and finance and I want to work in the high rise building and have all the things. And, oh, 100%. Yeah. And honestly, that's how so many people operate and, and we find ourselves in a place of total unfulfillment. You know, fulfillment. And I know that feeling. I've been there before. And then here's where purpose came in because I think oftentimes the question, you know, what is your purpose or what is your passion can very much overwhelm people. Yet you got struck by something and it was where your heart broke for the world. And oftentimes I tell people that is where like you're called to be, you know, really, truly moving the needle in your purpose. Now, whether that amounts to something that's, you know, you you make a living from, or if it's just something that brings total joy and creates change, like the return of investment is going to come in one way or another. And so here you are in this cushy office with this, you know, this accomplishment of your life, and then you turn into a place of your heart breaks. And now you did, I love the part where you said, 
you bought, you know, nonprofit for dummies and you didn't just go after all the big things first. You just started flipping like one little switch at a time. Yeah. So when we talk about the turned on life, that's, you illustrated it so beautifully without even knowing how we illustrate this is you just started with the first switch, like just applying to the IRS for a 501c3, right? And then now it moves into a place where you do have a movement, you do have a program, things are changing in legislation. Like, so tell us about what the next step was for you um, once you got that nonprofit, you know, for dummies book. So, I mean, yes, we did. I got the nonprofit for dummies book. I started the process of applying for a nonprofit, but again, I was 26 years old. I knew nothing about nonprofit whatsoever. Um, and I didn't really have a whole lot of money to be giving, paying an attorney to do this. So I literally filled that packet out. I'm not kidding you. Probably 10 different times. Mm. Get it back and say, no, this is wrong. You need to do this. Send it back. You need to do this. And so eventually we got our 501c3 status and we had our first event um, in Tampa, which was a public awareness event. So this is 2010 already. So this is two years of research, two years of trying to get a 501c3 going. Um, we wow. become a formalized nonprofit. We have an event in Tampa and it's a 5k run with the premise, you know, end human trafficking one step at a time and exactly zero people registered for our event, mm. which how disheartening is that, right? So done all the stuff. We're super excited. We're having our first event and no one registers. And another weird moment happened where I remembered a quote that Mother Teresa actually said, and she said she would never be part of an anti-war campaign, but she would be part of a pro-peace campaign. And those are the same exact things, but you're just tackling it in a very different way. Mm. And so we changed the premise of our organization in that moment, which was about valuing children and loving children and making sure children were, um, you know, just not being commoditized, objectified, or any of those things. And literally, I'm not kidding you, overnight, we had 200 people, a little over 200 people buy tickets for the event. So that was a very powerful lesson. Like, okay, wait a minute. This is such an overwhelming topic. No one wants to talk about sexual abuse of children, let alone this ultimate violation of children. Let's celebrate children. I mean, you've seen our logo. Our logo is a butterfly. It's not like we have anything, any triggering materials or overwhelming materials. So we started doing that. And then once we got some traction with this movement, people wanted to be a part of these blue butterflies and this organization that's celebrating children. And um, our first run-in was with our Tampa Chamber of Commerce. So our Tampa Chamber had an article that came out that said, Tampa is one of the safest places for children. And we had an article come out the same week that said Tampa was one of the places in the United States with the highest incidence for trafficking of children. And so they called us and they said, will you please take your article down? Yeah. So we were not very well received at all by our community, um, by our legislators, by our governor's office even. Um, but we did make enough noise for enough time that they eventually changed the law. So in 2012, they changed our legislation. We children were no longer being criminalized for prostitution, but we're going to be treated as victims. Okay. So let's pause here and yeah. let's, let's 
recap because there's a couple of very important takeaways for our audience. Mm -hmm. Remember, you're going to have something on your heart. So what Natasha did first is she didn't rush into it. She didn't put the cart before the horse, right? She did her research and then it was a long time. And then she started small. What can I do? Then she had to overcome some resistance. I, I look at all the times you had to fill out that thing and we know nobody likes filling out paperwork. Oh, no. When you think of, <laughs> Hey, I want to start a 501 C three. No one says, yeah. And I want to do all the paperwork and I want to dot all my I's and cross all my T's. So, there has to be something in your soul, Natasha, mm -hmm. and something in anybody's soul that wants to do something that is willing to get them beyond this. Because we all like to have the hug from the little girl that says, you saved my life. We'd all like to have our picture on the front page of the paper that says, here's somebody making a difference. Mm -hmm. But it's in the small times. It's in the work where you're doing those things. What kept you going internally? And what advice do you have for somebody who is going to encounter those same things? So... I mean, for me, it was a couple of different things. Number one, when at the same time as I was in finance and I was volunteering and I was feeling so terrible inside, I'm like, why am I feeling this way when I have everything that I thought that I wanted, right? Um, I do remember, and obviously my faith is something that's very important to me. So the first thing I do is go to prayer and say, you know, why, why am I feeling this way? Just I need you to tell me why I'm feeling this way. Help me to understand why I'm feeling this way. And so there were two things. Number one, um, when I was in elementary school, we had a girl that was in school with us that dad actually lived overseas. And she went to go visit her dad overseas for the summer. And her dad sexually violated her for that entire summer while she was in another country. Oh. And when I saw how that impacted her, and she was a friend of mine, like I said, in, in, in elementary school, when I saw how that impacted her, I made a silent little soul promise. And I said, and I never said it out loud, and I never said it to anyone, but I'm like, man, one day, God, I'm going to help girls like that. And then the precursor to that is, I also had an experience when I was younger where I was touched inappropriately. And I think because the experience didn't impact me the way that I'd seen it impact other children. I just felt so, I don't want to say obligated, but just so like, man, so grateful. I could have been a statistic of my experience easily, but I wasn't, I was spared. And so if I'm spared from this experience in this way, how can I not do something? And so those are the things that just kept me going. Like I, this every single child that has been trafficked has been sexually abused every single child we've served hundreds of kids over the years now one thing that they all have in common is that every single one of them was sexually violated at some point whether that was touched inappropriately when they were three whether it was worse sexual misconduct so that could have been that could be anyone that could have been me and so i just felt very led to keep that promise and it was like a soul promise. Like I said, there was something much bigger inside of me that was like, you made this promise and you are more equipped than you could ever imagine to keep this promise. And I was like, all right. Amen to that. Wow. You know what? You know what? I want to, I want to get your thoughts on this. Cause I was reading this recently from um, a pastor named Tony Evans and it talks about the impact of what one person can do. So this is kind of speaks directly to what we're saying. If you're listening out there, whatever your purpose is, a lot of times what we think is, I'm just one person. It's just 
And Natasha, I hate to do this to you, but how tall are you? <laughs> five feet. Okay. A whole so five feet. I, I say that because you, you, you stand so, you stand like a giant yeah. because of your conviction. And I want to let people know a couple things here because I know your story. You don't deal with the nicest people. You deal with an element in sex traffickers that are some of the worst criminals in the world. Yeah. And, and you've stood up to these people. So when you, we talk about David and Goliath, you know, when we talk no about doubt. you standing up, I've always admired you because I'm, I'm six foot and I'm 200 pounds. And I, I've always looked at you going, she's got more courage than I do. Like, to go into the lion's den and fight these people off and, and work for that kid, these children, Jeez. that takes a ton of courage. So what I'm going to read this to you and what I want you guys to listen for is Natasha was equipped with the will of God and, and she wasn't going to let anything stop her. And so many times we let things stop us because we figure, well, I'm just one person. And, and here's what Tony um, Evans said. He says, I think it's an excuse when people say, well, what can one man do? Or what can one woman do? Because history is full of individual men and women who did incredible things. And here's the kicker. Here's the opposite. We forget that the wrong kind of impact is made by one person. Yeah. So when we see people who are doing terrible things and we're like, Geez, it's just one person. Yeah, so think about the good. For every, for every good, you know, or for every evil, there should be a good. And what you're doing right now is showing people that you don't have to be equipped with anything except the willpower and the armor of God to go out there and make a difference because history is full of one person making massive difference. So as we go into this next part, what do, you, what do you say about that? Because here you are, and look where it's come. The adversity just from filling out the things. The other adversity from having to course correct and say, okay, well, we didn't get anybody at our first event, but now let's change it to a positive scope and protect kids and love on kids. Now you had 200 people. So the impact that one person can make, that's what I want you to touch on first. And then I want you to talk about really what it takes to have the foresight to push through the difficult times. I mean, I think one of the things that we forget easily, you know, is that if you say that you are a believer, if you say that you are, you have to know that you are co-creating with this, with the presence inside of you. You're co-creating with the whole entire universe is inside of you. And we forget that. We forget that you are not doing it in your own strength, in your own anything. And I also think that people get very wrapped up in this whole, go, go find your purpose. What's your purpose? Go find your purpose. Every single solitary person on this planet, they have something inside of them. They know what it is. But it just seems so insane, or they just seem so underqualified. Let me tell you, when this was when this whole thing happened with Redefining Refuge, I did not choose the name of this organization. In fact, I didn't even understand why it was called Redefining Refuge. I'm like, why am I redefining refuge? I'm just doing a public awareness campaign. I had no idea that one day this organization would literally redefine refuge and be the first safe house program in our state 
or that it would be replicated, our model would be replicated in an, on a national level. How could I know that? I was in finance. What did I know? Or the premise of using a butterfly. It's a caterpillar to a butterfly. So all, I didn't know all these things, but I did know that I wanted to do this thing. And I went to two of my pastors, two of my pastors, and they said, you know, Natasha, God doesn't talk to people like this anymore. That's literally what happened to me. They said, God does not talk to people like this anymore. And, you know, maybe like you're basically like, maybe you're having like a little quarter life crisis going on or something. What? And I remember being so upset because I mean, my, my faith was so foundational. My involvement in my church was even so foundational. And I remember praying, bawling my eyes out and God saying, forget everything that you think that you know about me and let me show you who I am. And I'm like, okay. And it was the most extraordinary journey, honestly, of all time. I wouldn't, I wouldn't switch it for any, 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 anything. And so that presence, and if I tell you guys the, the obstacles that we encountered more and more and more, because it's actually insane, but that presence, that resolve, I wasn't doing it on my own. I knew I wasn't doing it on my own. And so I did a lot of those affirmations, like those I am things. And I'm like, I am victorious because greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. Like I am victorious because if God's for you, who can be against you? And I swear it was like magic. Just things just, the more that I stayed in that power, the more that things shifted. But I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a, a lot of effort for sure to, to stay in that. I mean, it's a choice, right? It's a choice to do affirmations. It's a choice to, to believe. If we go back to some biblical things. So I, I talked about David and Goliath. When you see such a huge problem, you know, I don't know where to start. You know, I don't, I don't know how to tackle this. And then you do, um, you know, Angelique, I want you to just read that because th that's powerful. And I want, I want her to know about this and I want other people listening to know. Well, uh, I'm glad that we're bringing this piece up because, um, you know, sadly it came from a pastor, uh, you know, when you, when you got that message, because I believe we serve a supernatural God and he can do supernatural things. And to yeah. say that he doesn't speak to us that way anymore, puts God in a box and God does yeah. not want to be in a box. Nope. He does not want to be in a box. Con um, conversely, the enemy does. <laughs> he wants a lot of things to be in his little box. And um, there's a, a quote here and I'm going to completely butcher his name, but it says destiny is a function of time and it's the devil's target. Satan does not attack you because of your past. He troubles you because of your future. That's his primary target. For most of the time when Satan sees that he cannot derail you in destiny, he delays you for yep. when you are delayed long enough, you are destroyed. And that's from Bishop Sola Adentunji. <laughs> I probably butchered that awfully, but um, the destroying the yoke of delay, you know, is what that is titled. And it's so true because that could have totally delayed you because and sadly it, it, it almost, it counterfeited God it, right yeah. in front of your face by the use of someone that could have been easily thought to be your, your spiritual covering, your spiritual mentor. And um, thankfully, you went to 
back to the divine order of how God speaks to us. And that has to do with you. Like you can receive prophetic word outside of you, but he can speak to you in your quiet moments and in a stillness. And so when you went into that room and bawled into your private place, you know, that's when things were yeah. risen. And I had a really good Bible teacher growing up. And I remember one of the things that he said, and it was critical to me in that moment was whatever anyone says to you, even if it is a pastor, even if it's me and he was a Bible teacher, he said, always go back and confirm that with God. Always, always, always do that. And that was critical to me in that time was, is this, am I making this up? You know what I mean? And it was like, no, trade in everything that you think that you know and let me show you. And it was the most extraordinary experience. And you talk about delay. Let me tell you, we, when the law changed, so the legislation changed and it created a need for a different kind of program because so the law changes um, and we actually made the problem worse. So imagine how that feels. You work for almost four years, the legislation changes in our state and these kids start going to group homes. Well, traffickers catch on to this very quickly and they start sending girls into group homes to recruit other little kids out. Ugh. Yeah, so these girls are deathly afraid of their perpetrator. They're gonna do what they tell them to do. And then you have a 16 year old girl goes into a group home and has a cell phone and calls the trafficker as instructed and says, hey, this is where I am. And there's three or four other really vulnerable little kids here. And so the problem was made worse. And so imagine how that feels. And am I doing the right thing? This problem just got perpetuated. Then the need arose to have a new kind of program, a safe house program. So we, with my contacts that I had in finance, we managed to get a house donated, but a super old house, this tiny, tiny old house. We, I quit my finance job. We renovate this house on the inside, the outside. We gut it. We do all these things to it. And as soon as we're done, so now I have no job. I have no money. As soon as we're done with this house and everyone's expecting this place to open, literally three oak trees in the backyard that we had asked to have cut down and the, the city said no, literally fell into the house. Whoa. Literally fell into the house. We had no insurance on the house because no one would insure the house because of the age of the house. So now I had no job, no house, no money. Whoa. And I remember just literally standing there looking at this train wreck of a mess and being like, oh my gosh, God, what do I do? Like, what, is this an attack from the enemy? Because if it is, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll find a way. And then I felt like in that moment, God was like, no, you got to walk away. And then imagine how that felt. Like, wait a minute, you, I quit my job. I did all this stuff. And now you're telling me to leave this house? Like, what? My. But I listened. I did. I listened. And it was a very big test of my faith. And I listened. And then about a month later, um, I was sitting on the couch doing my affirmations still mm. and not meaning them. I am victorious because great over here. You know what I mean? Like, there wasn't so much, like, you know. And um, this little still voice that had been guiding me the entire time was like, you need to go find a new house. And I was like, fine. And I scoffed. I'm like, find a new house. I'm like, I hardly have gasoline in my car to drive around to find a new house. Like, what do you mean? And I'd already given up my own house at this point, just so you guys know. So I'm like sleeping on my dad's couch, quit my finance job, all my furniture's in storage. 
uh, no money. I mean, it was insane. So I go to find a new house and I get lost, legitly, completely lost. And I get lost in this cul-de-sac with the most stunning house that you've ever seen. And I'm like, are you kidding me? God, like what a joke. You know what I mean? Like, why would you, what a tease. Like, why would you even let me see this house? This house is on 10 acres. It was beautiful. It had these giant gates with horses on them. And um, I actually jumped over the fence and it was like on a lake. And the crazy thing about the house that makes you want to cry still is that all of the colors that I personally chose for that first house, this house was exactly the same. The color on the outside was painted the same and all of the colors on the inside of the house were the same. What? And it was, yeah but it was like a palace compared to our first house. And so I bawled my eyes out, I was crying my eyes out, driving to my dad's house and being like, I can't believe that a house like this even exists. And I called the owners and I said, can I look at, which, can I look at this house tomorrow? And they were like, yeah, you can look at this house tomorrow. So I'm driving to my dad's, I'm crying my eyes out hysterically. I'm like, how am I going to pay for this? And I get to my dad's house and my uncle and my dad literally hand me a check. And they said, we don't know why. We just felt like God wanted us to give you this. And they hand me a check. And it was literally exactly $100 less than what I needed to get that house. What? And so the next day, yep, the next day I go to look at this house and I'm like, this house is stunning. It's, it's probably, it's built in 2007. The first house we got was 1920 something, like 1917, I think it was. So this house is almost a hundred years newer. It's literally a replica of the first house, but a hundred years newer and literally five times the size on a lake on 10 acres. And I'm thinking, man, how am I going to let the houses? How are these owners going to be okay with me saying, Hey, can I use this house for traffic children? And at the very end, as I was leaving, the woman told me what her last name was. And I said, oh my gosh, do you know so-and-so? And she said, oh yeah, that's my son. And this was, ended up being a friend of mine that I had known for, gosh, since I had moved to America. And I called him and I said, oh my gosh, I just looked at your parents' house. You know what I'm trying to do? Can you talk to them? And so he talked to his parents and the very same day, they were like, yes, we want you to have the house and that house ultimately ended up being the house where dozens and dozens and dozens of kids lives were changed. Oh. And I remember, I remember God telling me, yeah, like, because you were so faithful in little, this was, this is your opportunity to be faithful in much. Yeah. Wow. It was extraordinary. I mean, it was, I mean, who could make that up? The paint colors, literally the paint colors were the same everything was the same well he's so in the details and we i mean i just i always marvel at what he does in the details in in something so specific like that because he likes to get his glory you know he doesn't want to be confused with something that's a coincidence and so that's obviously no no coincidence it's entirely something that god produced because of your faithfulness and in total favor um I'm blown away. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, me too still to this day. It's just going back to the amount of money. So this was a down payment or 
help me understand. No. So yeah, another thing that people should know is that if you want to do something, you do what you can, where you are with what you have. We rented that house. We did not have millions of dollars to go and build a program, build some house or, you know, do all these things. Yeah, it was a house on 10 acres. It was zoned um, and we could afford the rent. And that's where we started. And honestly, there was more delay after that because the state did not a license a safe house. And so what ultimately ended up happening was it took almost a full year after getting the house for the state to license it because they didn't know what they were doing. But, did I, but again, you could have waited for perfect circumstances, right? Perfect circumstances would have meant that I had money. I didn't have any money. Perfect circumstances would have meant that I had a social work background. Didn't have that. I didn't have. I didn't have any of those things. You had the desire. Yes, and I and I, the resolve. It was a resolve. It was, and again, I didn't have all the things figured out in the beginning. And people need to know that it was like, oh, I'm going to do a public awareness campaign. Great. Public law changed, and I was in my finance job. Great, I contributed in this way. Yeah. Well, you had an unintended consequence of the law. Now what? Okay, now I'll do this. And that's how it's been the whole entire time. It's just been staying flexible and flowing with that. I mean, I, I, I didn't have all the answers by any means. So now that we have so much of this, and we're at an emotional part here, I oh. want you, as, as, as briefly as you can, to give us your most trying point i'm talking about one where not not financially i'm talking about because i know you've had girls that have just left and you're like but i'm trying to save you yeah they've left and then i want you to give us um the opposite of that i want to give us your best success story so i want you to give us some time a time when a a physical story was really tough for you to overcome and then i want to give you a time when a physical story said my god you are saving somebody Oh, wow. Okay. So, I mean, as I said, we got this new house. It took the state over a year to license us. And yeah, we were this licensed, fully furnished home, but the state wouldn't pay for it. And it's exceptionally expensive to run a program like this, as you can imagine. Mm. And so we contracted another organization to run the program. So again, these are these are things that you, practical things that you think you should do, right? So, okay, I'm going to go contract somebody else to run this because I don't know how to run a program like this. And we contracted an agency to run our program. And within the first two weeks of this professional social work agency running our house, I literally kicked everyone out. Not the children, obviously, but the staff, because I did not like how they were treating the kids. I couldn't, hand, I couldn't stand how they were treating the children. Wow. And so because I had no social work background, the state would not give me a license. They wouldn't give me a license, which was extraordinarily terrible because it means the kids that were there and promised a safe place ended up having to go to another place, which was very heart-wrenching for me because everything that I did was to get these kids into a safe place and now I'm having to tell you to leave and so that was exceptionally exceptionally trying and but again you talk about God being in the details um 
we had a news reporter that came to us and she said, you know, I'm retiring soon and I just love what you guys are doing. Can I write a story? And I was so ignorant and naive, if you want to say. And I was like, yeah, I can write a story, thinking it would be a little blurb on page seven. And this woman wrote a huge story that was on the front page of the Sunday paper of the Tampa Times. It was like this three-page spread. And it was calling out all... And I was just being honest, having no idea it would create this. And it ended up being a political nightmare. It was throwing our governors under the bus, like, yeah, this program you know, whatever, all these things happened, but it was so scary and so much that I actually left to go back to South Africa for a few months because, I mean, I was just so overwhelmed and discouraged and defeated. And I went home and I think I cried every day for probably a month. And um, when I was in South Africa, oddly enough, is when they finally sent a contract for um, this safe house to pay for it. So that was a very, very challenging moment, um, a very challenging time because it's like you're so close, but you're not there. And the state ended up giving me my own license. Um, yeah, so that was, it was very, it was very difficult. That was the most difficult thing I think out of all. And I found one of the kids' journals that she left behind and it talked about how, you know, she felt safe for the first time in her life. And, um, and then I, we had to ask them to leave. So you can imagine how that felt. It was, oh, it was, it was terrible. You, you yeah. Basically had to build this thing several different times. Um, yeah. what, what was it? What it's was like the, the story? <laughs> Cause I want people right now, what, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to ask people and we're going to give you the information where you can donate to this organization because mm -hmm. I mean, you've heard this story. You, you've seen the heartfelt things that Natasha has done. If you could see Angelique's eyes, they're just welling up with tears. I, I mean, I My eyes that. are welling up with tears. Mm -hmm. So we're going to ask that you donate to this cause because all of the legwork has been done. Uh, God has interceded, but give them a story right now of a person or a girl that you've helped that if, if perhaps someone's thinking about helping you out, but they just don't have that final nudge, like, well, does this really help people? Are they really saving lives? I want you to tell them about a specific girl. And, and maybe that'll get somebody to go, hey, you know what, this is something I want to help with. Gosh, there's so many stories. Um, I'll tell you two. One's a really short one, um, but just to give you an idea, and one is a very extraordinarily powerful one. Um, we had a girl that came to our program on the day of her 17th birthday. Um, this child had been trafficked since the age of nine. And again, these kids are born and raised in the United States. I want people to understand that these kids aren't coming from some far country. And even if they were, um, that shouldn't make it any less terrible because it's a child. Mm -hmm. But um, born and raised, you know, right here in the state of Florida, and had been trafficked since the age of nine, but also had a crack cocaine problem since the age of nine. So her traffickers had gotten her addicted to um, this drug and then started trafficking her basically at the same time. So she came to our program, like I said, the day of her 17th birthday and was with us for a year until she turned 18. It was the first year in her life from the age of nine that she didn't use and 
Um, she graduated probably two years ago. She's continued not to use, which imagine that. I mean, I'm sorry. That's just, that was one of the most extraordinary things to me. Um, a child that's been addicted to a substance since the age of nine years old, that's been violated more times than I could ever care to count. Um, but a really powerful story. <laughs> one night we, um, two of our kids ran away and it was midnight. It was probably around midnight. And I'm not kidding you. <laughs> I'm sitting in my living room and I get a text message from my staff and they said, Hey, you know, these two girls ran away. Where they ran away, though, is a, it's very far away from the house, and they were there doing a boxing class. And so these prompts, that's all I can describe them as, were prompts, were like, get in your car right now. Like, you have to go right now. And I was like, Scott, in my car, where, where am I going? I, I mean, I have no idea where I'm going. But literally, I swear to you, turn left, turn right, go here, go there. And I pull up, not kidding you. <clears throat> it makes me emotional still. And I pull up to a pitch black parking lot in the middle of nowhere. I couldn't even tell you how to get there. And because our kids were in boxing class, they were both wearing black clothing. So I pull up and would you believe me if I told you that I pull up to this garage and my, with this garage, sorry, this pitch black parking lot, not a garage. And as I pull in, my lights shine on these two children. No. And, and I don't know who was more shocked if it was me or if it was these two children. But um, after, they, I mean, they try to run away. I would have a car and they're on foot. So I'm like, you guys, you know, you're not going to get away. Let's, uh, let's talk about this. And so I finally get them both in the car. It's probably like two o'clock in the morning now. And we're heading back to the safe house. And these kids just start wailing their eyes out um, and telling me, well, first of all, they were super scared that I had like some implanted some GPS in them or something. <laughs> like, how did you know where we were? You know, we didn't even know where we were. And I told them what happened. I said, I know this might sound hokey to you guys, but this is, this is what happened. Like, I literally was like, get off your couch right now. You have to go right now. Children are crying their eyes out. And I had no idea, but right before I got there, they got enough heroin to essentially kill themselves. That's what they were doing. Yeah. And... I mean, that moment changed their lives forever because how could I know where they were? You know what I mean? So that revolutionized even their faith that they have, that there's someone that loves you more than you could ever, ever, ever imagine. He loves you so much that I had to get off my couch in the middle of the night and I knew exactly where you were. And that was the most powerful moment of their lives and, and it will remain probably in the top most powerful moments of their lives because... I mean, you can't expect these kids to believe in anything or have faith in anything. They've been heard for most of their lives. And so, I mean, that was just the most powerful, powerful thing that, one of the most powerful things that has ever happened to me. I mean, listening 
to those prompts and I try to listen to them for most things now because listening to those prompts, if I would have just discounted that, those kids would have been dead. But because I listened to the crazy of it all, they're alive, they're doing well, they're healthy, and they know that they're loved by the creator of the universe. That's epic. <laughs> yeah. Can't, don't do that to me right now. I can literally not I know. respond. I know. <laughs> I, I feel like we all just need to soak this up. What we're seeing here, what we've talked about, and really what this message is about is there's a calling on your life. Natasha's calling was saving these young women from a horrible, horrible thing that's going on. Not just in this country, but worldwide. It's a, it's a dilemma. It's a problem. You saw the adversity. You saw the frustration. You saw the wall-kicking moments. You saw the moments where it seemed like all hope had gone out the window. But what was the underlying theme? She continued her obedience to what God was telling her. She said, I am your, I am your tool. Uh, use me how you will, and I will meet you halfway and do what I have to do. And what you're seeing now is somebody who is creating a legacy. You know, we had a guy on recently who was a football star. And I asked him about, you know, all of these amazing things that he's seen, people cheering his name, people wearing his jersey, people waiting at the airport for his autograph. I said, how cool. That must be awesome. And he said, it's just a moment. It's, they're just moments. He said, it, nothing that I did on the field advances the kingdom. Nothing I did has an eternal impact on my life. None of, none of that stuff on the field. He said, the stuff that I do for God is what has a, a legacy in eternity. And that's what I feel like right now is happening on this podcast, but certainly your story is proving to people that, you know what, it just takes a little bit more to go after what you want and think about the legacy now, more than a trophy, more than a paycheck, more than applause. It's people's lives that have changed. And that is kingdom work. And I just, if you're listening to this, um, we're going to wrap this up now and I'm going to have Natasha tell you a little bit about where her program is going and how you can be a part of it. If you have anything right now that you could help out and, and she didn't even ask us, this wasn't part of it. She I want to make no sure idea she has no idea, but look, we are compelled to, to, because this is something that needs to be stopped. So Natasha, tell us where your foundation is going how people can get involved, how they can find out more, and then certainly how they can become a, a, a financial supporter. Wow, thank you. Um, so believe it or not, in all of this, that it, all of the hoops that we went through, we actually closed our Safe House program last year. Um, and again, and that was the same direction um, I get my definitive direction all the time from prayer. And so even though it was a very difficult thing for me to understand and grasp, you know, why would we close the safe house program? 
the reason that we personally chose or um, that God chose for us to close our program is that we were only able to serve girls that were in the foster care system because that's who we were licensed through. So we closed our safe house last year, but we expanded another program that we had, which was our case management program. This is where we're getting kids medical appointments, therapies, clothing, court advocacy, doing visitation with families, with children, matching them with families to be adopted, you know, all these different things. Mm. And once again, listening to God, we went from serving um, five kids in our safe house, because that was the size of our safe house, we could serve five kids at a time. Um, we expanded our case management program and we served 93 kids in the last 12 months. And we serve boys and girls, labor trafficking, sex trafficking, and kids across various systems of care. So whether they're in dependency care, delinquency, diversion, community kids. Um, so we were really, really, really able, without having the safe house, to completely expand our reach. Um, and then we've also had the amazing, amazing good fortune of um, being able to mentor other programs that are opening up their safe houses and um, you know, leveraging the model that we did build and, um, yeah, so our case management's just getting bigger and bigger. We hope to con just continue to grow it, you know? Um, yeah, but it's been extraordinary. And I do want to say in closing, if I can, even I grew up in church and when you are sitting in the pew and you listen to a pastor saying, you know, like God does not, um, you know, how is it? call the equipped, he equips the called. And you hear all these things over and over your whole life, but you always think that those messages are for someone else. Mm. I don't think that they're for you. And then you said, you know, I was, my purpose was to save girls' lives. My purpose didn't start off that way. And I want people to know that my purpose was simply to say something in the beginning. That's all that it was. It was something so small was just say something. And then I said something and then I said something and it was like, okay, now I do this. So it was very, it was no big picture purpose in it for me, ultimately. You know what I mean? It was just being obedient to that one thing. And now when I look back, if I would have listened even to my pastor at the time, look what was resting on my yes. Mm. Like hundreds of lives were resting on my yes and my willingness to trust the kingdom of heaven within me and not without me. Wow. And it's not just the hundreds of lives. I mean, there's just generation. There's literally generations, nations and nations of people that are being changed through your yes. Um, and we, you know, with the big four, we've had so many people on turning on your body and health and turning on your marriage and relationships and turning on your business. This is really, truly a story of turning on your faith um to, to to flip that switch and and just honoring the divine order of of recognizing the atmosphere of being so chaotic and formless and void and then using your voice to speak life first and you said i just needed to say something and that just sounds um that just the volume in me just went up on that one because you know even when god the creator of the universe created the universe he spoke first and um, sometimes we get really tripped up with how big this picture really needs to be. And we forget that the small first step can sometimes just be courageous enough to say something. 
and to speak that positivity into a formless place. So what a beautiful story of, you know, shining light on a dark place, um, the way that we always talk about and turned on. Um, you know, I just want to remind our audiences, and you can do this, but where to find you and where and how they can um, contribute. And uh, I'll take it a step further, and David has no idea what I'm about to do. But um, since this is a podcast, the way that we can hear your testimonies usually comes through just reading a review. And we would love to read a review on T Natasha's episode and maybe just write, you know, in the, the review of that you were touched by the Redefining Refuge episode with Natasha and for every review um, on iTunes that we read, we will donate uh, $10 for each review. So, um, oh, and, I, and I hope, I hope it comes in drones <laughs> because oh, we, would, so we want for, um, you know, that to have a purpose behind it and, and has nothing to do with, with either of us. It's just truly to give back to this incredible cause and this incredible courageous woman that's across from us right now. So Natasha, just remind them um, where they can go learn more about it and how they can contribute if they are prompted to contribute on their own. Oh, thank you guys again. That's so kind. I mean, really, thank you. Um, our website is under construction, but you can still, um, there is an active face page that you can use. So it's redefiningrefuge.org. Um, we do have a Facebook page, also just Redefining Refuge, Instagram, Redefining Refuge. We also have a YouTube channel where you can watch some videos or PSAs and also Redefining Refuge. So, so beautiful. I love that. Thank what you guys. Yeah, that'll all be in the show notes as well. So if you need to remind a reminder, just look in the show notes. Yeah, if you're friends. driving or on a treadmill, don't write them down now. <laughs> we'll get it to you. Uh, please. And the bigger picture is here. Don't just, don't just say, wow, what a great story. What a great person. Let this resonate in your yeah. life. Where are you going to make a difference? What are the things on your heart that you've been meaning to do? And it, it doesn't have to be major. It could be reaching out to somebody that yeah. just, you know, you've lost touch with. It could Where's be helping problem? somebody in your neighborhood, helping somebody in your church, somebody in your school, at your work, mm -hmm. your own family. Um, let this resonate and make a ripple effect um, because we see so much on the news about negativity, and this is a story that has all the makings of, of something that could be much, much bigger in everybody's life is if we just listen and take action. Okay, so thank you so much, Natasha. God bless you. Um, thank, God you. Bless thank you. Redefining Refuge. Thank God you. bless all the girls out there and, and boys now that will find you, and we pray to God that they do find you because they need somebody. They need hope. Thank you so much, you guys. Thank you for turning our faith on today, Natasha. And we hope for those listening that it turned on yours as well. We look forward to talking to you next time. Okay. Bye, guys. Have a good day.